today. Uh, today's a really great day for a number of reasons. One, it's just another opportunity for us to be together and to worship Jesus, especially during uh, a pretty tumultuous time in, in, our, uh, in our culture. And so there's uh, a couple of things I want to do today that I think are really important for the sake of the discussion of what today means in our church. And so Abe has already mentioned, and just in case you don't know, it was 10 years ago this day that we had our first public worship gathering in the Regal Theaters which we actually are going to uh, pray for here momentarily. I don't know if you all have heard this or not, but um, you know, several months ago, and by several months ago, I mean probably the better part of a year ago, it became pretty clear to us as a leadership team that we wanted to, uh, we wanted to find a place where we had a little bit more time to sort of spread out a little bit and, and, and develop the rhythms of community that significantly matter to us, which is what we're gonna talk about today. And so we had a bit of, a, of an inclination that God was sort of, calling us to look for a new space to meet in. And then uh, what ended up happening was, is obviously this opened up after all of the craziness that took place over the past six or seven months in our culture. And uh, one of the things that was of concern, especially to me, I read a lot of business, was just the, the unfortunate state of affairs for movie theaters. And so there's a parent company for Regal called Cineworld, and they uh, decided to shutter all 5,500 locations in the US and in Europe, meaning they're indefinitely closed down now until um, until further notice. And so that was, it was hard for me to read that. One, because uh, that place is, is a part of our DNA and we got to know many, many, many employees from people making popcorn to senior level management over the last decade. And so I want to, um, in a moment, we'll, we'll kind of get into what I want to do today, but I did think it would be appropriate for me to open us with a word of prayer, to certainly pray uh, for them because part of part of this new season as crazy as it's been, uh, can, we can't have this season without the foundation that we built in that, uh, in that place. For us, I think it will always be more than just a place where we watched films. It was a place where we, uh, we spent a decade, literally, um, doing mission and ministry. So I want to pray specifically for our time this morning and certainly for all of the folks that were affected by those uh, closures this week. Father in heaven, um, we do thank you that you've given us an opportunity to, to be here today, um, that we're in a, a place that... Uh, that you have provided for us, a place that we give great thanksgiving for, a place that, a place that we really believe um, you want us to be in. We're so thankful for this, but we don't want to forget the, the path that you have had, that you've laid prior to us, what brought us to this point. And so we do particularly now pray, you know, we pray for the world and illness, and there's so much strife in just about every arena of our world. We ask uh, and commit all of this to you. We ask God that you would bring your peace your goodness to it all. And in particular, we pray for, um, for our partner, the Regal Theaters, who uh, graciously hosted us for the better part of 10 years. So I pray for all those that will be affected by this, whether it's the loss of a job or uh, the severe pairing back of one, the implications of this are not fully yet known, but we do pray that you would bless all of those folks, Father, whom, um, who labored on our behalf to, uh, to, to provide a place for us to worship you. Um, we know that you are a good God, even during difficult times, and I pray, Lord, that, uh, that your goodness would be made known, God, um, to every single person on this earth, but particularly those who suffer now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let me, uh, again, welcome you, whether you're sitting here or watching us online. We're thankful to have you both. Yesterday was the official 10-year anniversary of our church, and somewhat ironically, uh, there, there's some, some parallels here that I think are worth pointing out. 
there was a lot of concern about us beginning Restoration's story in 2010. Uh, do any of you remember what was going on in 2010? I heard somebody say I was pregnant. That did not affect that did not affect the direction of our church, although we value pregnancies. My wife was pregnant, but can, can anybody think, um, in fact, we had some folks that, uh, not in our inner circle, but in our outer circle, that were very concerned about us starting restoration in 2010. Anybody got a thought on what, what, that was, what was going on? Uh, no, not, yeah, that was, that was in that time period, but it was the Great Recession. We were essentially at the tail end of the worst economic crisis in America since the Great Depression. And it was interesting, I thought that, um, that we sort of christened our ministry during one of the most difficult times, at least in, in my lifetime. And I find it so, somewhat interesting that here we are at our second 10 years, sort of some people online, some people here, some people have become Buddhists, that probably happened too. Uh, all, all of this crazy stuff is going on, yet here we sit some 10 years later thinking about what the next 10 years of our mission and ministry uh, look like. And this has been a particularly difficult week for me. Um, uh, I thank you first for your prayers. My arm is definitely getting better. I had a slight infection there and it's on the men. Uh, but even worse than that, the Yankees got knocked out of the playoffs this week. I don't know if you saw that or not. It was, it was said, uh, I, I already know who the Red Sox fans are over there, so... So I'm going to start the grace from this line over this morning. <laughs> so the Yankees are toast. But today what I want to do is continue on um, with this, this sort of experimental rhythm that we developed about six weeks ago. And that is, for the foreseeable future, we've created a, a, an interactional type of Sunday. Simply meaning, while I am teaching, we are inviting you to participate. And this is something that as we continue to develop rhythms here and you know, figure out our final staging, we, we want some of this in each and every message. There, there will come a time, and already have been some times, where you know, I'll sit here and deliver to you a full 35-minute message. But what we want to start doing is creating space at the back end of each teaching for people to ask questions. Because we think it's really important. Obviously, being in a community group affords you that opportunity. But uh, I don't want to take for granted the fact that the things we talk about here are universally agreed upon or fully understood. And so one of the ways we've been, uh, we've been sort of experimenting with that, since this is such a, a different time in the life of our church, is by creating some dialogue points here. And we'll continue that this morning as we talk about uh, community. And so over these next couple of weeks, we're going to be using Acts 2, 42 through 46, as our our main text, and I'll read that to you in a moment. It's not the only text we'll look at, but it is one of the primary texts in the New Testament that actually speaks about uh, community. And I want to read that to you here in a moment, but be before we do that, I thought it might be kind of fun. You don't, don't have to feel any pressure to do this, but if any of you, one or two of you, wanted to share, you can just sort of popcorn throw it out there, something that you, uh, maybe a good memory or some, some type of way where um, our church family, whether you're here or there, has sort of blessed you or, or cared for you. I, in other words, does anybody want to share a good memory? I have one I'll share before we jump into our teaching. But if you, if you feel so inclined, I would love for you to just maybe say one way that, uh, that you have been blessed, no matter how long you've been with us, um, or a way you have blessed someone in the Restoration family. I see a lot of smiles. Here we, okay, here we go. His hand. All right. <laughs> so, 
So for our online listeners, we had somebody just say that they're thankful I took the job. The interview process was pretty extensive. I, I do agree. Uh, there were many hoops. Uh, I became a circus master for a couple of months there. So I'm glad I did, though. Very glad I did. Anything else? Yeah? That's wonderful. So Albert and Judy, uh, they are sort of an archetype of the kind of uh, reaching out and communal care that has always been the hallmark, one of the hallmarks of our, our church family. And I can completely affirm that, not just with you two, but um, with the greater body. There, there's been a beautiful spirit of, of unity in this church um, for 10 years, and that is something we should not take for granted. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, I have a comment about that in a minute, but we'll get there in a second. <laughs> I'm grateful for your wife. Yes. Just kidding. But I'm grateful for her for sitting in my chair and telling me about restoration because we were looking for a church uh, at that time. And she was like, well, we have a church. And I was like, That's wonderful. And I actually intended to say this later on, but in case you didn't hear this online, uh, somebody mentioned that they're thankful for my wife, who is the backbone of this whole uh, operation. And you can even ask her. I don't know that we would have been here without her. I, I had a lot of reservations about relocating to Florida, although I'm very thankful we're here now. But uh, she was truly the driving impetus for us to uh, take the steps. So uh, you're absolutely right, uh, Susie. Um, and I'm also thankful, Curran, that you've been blessed by me. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. I got the better end of the deal. I got the better end of the deal. <laughs> well, maybe one other one. Yeah, uh, Sharon. Um, I think for me, one of the things is our community groups. And I've been in one one way or the other. Um, and I think it's Yeah, well, it's a it's a good and way to describe it. Yeah. So for those of you online, I'm going to just repeat this so people can hear it. Someone mentioned the um, the significance of our community groups. They are one of the main ways um, to become anchored and rooted in our uh, in our church. And so, uh, absolutely, our community groups are uh, they're they're a really beautiful thing. Um, really, really a wonderful aspect of the body and. Uh, in its form outside of the traditional gathering we have. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was when I first joined the church and went through the process of um, kind of doing study, working through the papers and the workbook and stuff, it was really, uh, it was just so great. And I felt already connected and everything anyway, but knowing that there was real concern about who was, who was coming and what, what we were Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the two things we just heard were, um, and this is a big deal, we, we really are pretty transparent as a church, who we are, what we believe. Um, there, there are no secrets here. And part of the partnership class, 
which uh, Tana was talking about, really gets into some detail uh, with that. But I want you to know that anytime you have a question about anything, you may ask anybody about it. There's, there's no like official time of the year for questions. We welcome them um, year round. And I do remember many a time in the movie theater where I would be in the middle of like, and here is what Jesus did. And then it would be like, in the summer of 68. And a big thing would come on behind me. That happened like at least 10 times, no joke. Uh, that is the truth. So uh, it, it is definitely one of the indelible memories I have is navigating previews and films at the, at the theater. So we always had a good time with them. That's the only thing you could do. I have, oh, yes, go ahead. One thing that attracted us back here at Catholic Theater was the big music. It didn't drive us out. Yes, and so this is definitely a compliment and a testimony to our worship leader and his compatriots, who are not all here today, but I can tell you Abe uh, works very hard on presenting to you songs that honor God, are sound in theology, and, and move the heart. And so we should not take for granted um, Abe and the multitude of other people that help to bring about the various ministries here. So absolutely. I do, I do think you get, uh, you get what you it's a, it's a rare, it really is a rare gift, and I'm thankful that I don't, I don't think much about worship, and that's not because I don't love it. It's because there is definitely a deep level of trust in um, how Abe manages the affairs of, uh, of the team in our worship, so that is a wonderful thing to point out. Um, I'll share, share one thing, and some of you might already know what it is. It's already been hinted to you, but this, this year, finally after 10 years, I... Um, no, if you don't know what this is, I want to bring this up. Um, so every year we have a big chili cook-off, and it's highly competitive. And uh, for the first year, I mean, I placed multiple times, like second and third, which for an Orzo is just various degrees of losing. That's the way that we see those places. But I did finally win this year, and I want to point out, Pam, who's up here and also sitting there, uh, I broke the reign of her tyrannical rule for two straight years this past year, finally, by bringing the coveted chili. So, and I promise you, for as long as I hold the chili, I will be a benevolent dictator in all ways. Okay? Uh, I will respect the chili, and I will seed it when I must. So anyways, uh, th this is just such a small snapshot of the things, I mean, that have gone on in our church. And I, I do love the fact that in some shape or form, every single thing that was brought up today references something that has to do with with people, um, with, with other folks in our community, whether they are here, online, or one of, one of the real great things about this whole thing and the online presence is that we've actually been able to hook up with folks who were partners or members of Restoration that have moved on and they can dial in and like listen to us. So there have been some benefits, don't get me wrong, of, um, of the online presence, but we, we are definitely laboring towards um, trying to have safe and reasonable worship gatherings. And so what, what I thought would be interesting to do over these next weeks is to spend some time talking about the substance of our church, one of the substances anyways. We spent a few weeks speaking about the gospel, and now I want to talk to you all about community. And so I'll read to you from Acts 2, 42 through 46, and then we'll just bounce around a couple of ideas this morning. So this is the day of Pentecost, and great things are happening. Uh, the church is really doing, the church is growing. And by the church, I mean there was no church in the early days of the first century. The church was becoming the church. And so there's this incredibly long 
uh, warning that, uh, that Peter sort of gives everybody. Uh, he's preaching Jesus, basically, speaking about the importance of Jesus. And then after all these salutations and warnings and things are brought up, he ends this, this uh, chapter here with this statement about what the Christians were doing. And he says uh, this, he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, this is Luke now writing, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. If you ever wonder where we get the concept of a community group from, this is one of them. Uh, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. What's interesting about this is that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is one of the first examples we have in the New Testament of what we would identify as, as Christian movement. And by movement, I simply mean movement is sort of like when you are laboring for Jesus and stuff starts happening uh, in a good way that's out of your uh, out of your control uh, it's one of the evidences of uh, the reality of our God and we've had no shortage of the those incidents this year especially with the ability just to have um, this this meeting space and some others that I'll share in a moment but I, I do think this is an important text and I issue with it one caveat before we actually jump into it so there are some people who will read the early parts of Acts if you care to know the name they're called primitive theologians and what they do is they they will read these texts and believe that the church um, was sort of like perfect in its form here. And in order for the church to progress in the modern era, it's got to get back to this. Now, I would agree with the back to this because these are essential elements in a church body. But what's interesting is if you read Acts, you continue to read Acts, you'll notice that the church is, it has no shortage of issues. And so it's very easy, I think, for us at times, even in a season like this, to think, you know, don't get me wrong. There are definitely some challenges to the church in the, uh, in the modern Western world and in particularly our country. But the church has always been challenged with things, always, whether it's been persecution or oppression. Sometimes the church has shot itself in its own, in the, in its own feet by, you know, uh, watering down the truth of who Jesus is. There's lots of things that have always stood against the church. But one of the beautiful things about the church is that it still stands, and it will stand until Jesus returns. So our ultimate hope for the church is not necessarily practicing some type of a formula or going back to some fictional heyday when the church was without issues. If you keep reading Acts, you'll find out that there were problems almost immediately as the mission began to spread. So the mark of a, of a healthy church is not necessarily that it is without challenge. Um, the mark of a healthy church is that we are resolute in our desire to pray through and overcome challenge. And that's a very important thing. So in a situation even like what America is dealing with right now, you know, you can view everything that's going on as either obstacle or opportunity. And the truth is there are a bit of both inherent in what's happening right now in America. But I think what we should take, the lesson from church history, is that the men and women we read about that did wonderful things for the kingdom of God were people who persevered and, over, and overcame. And that's why I think it's important that we talk about this idea of community because at the end of the day, a church is not a, it's not a place. It's, a, it's a, an identified group of people. We are, we are the church, lowercase c, connected to the church, capital C, past, present, and future. And so I have one opening question I wanna ask you, uh, only three to discuss today. The first is this. In general, how, how would you define the word um, community? We've just been given an example of it in the, in the Bible. And I have a couple of uh, Merriam-Webster definitions I'll give you. There were actually 11 
11 definitions of community in the modern English dictionary, but I'll spare you all of those and just ask you, how would you explain, and this does not have to be limited to church, I mean community in general, what do we think community is? Okay, the town we live in. So community can be a geography or a neighborhood or something like that. That was actually one of the definitions in the dictionary. Your workplace, okay. So a workplace absolutely can be a, a community. It can be an ecosystem of people that are um, sort of aligned around a common purpose. That is also one of the definitions in the dictionary. What else? Okay, so uh, a collective of ideas, right? There's no doubt about that. Uh, that that can be seen in a great many uh, communities that that can transcend the uh, that can transcend geography. So now we're sort of getting out of a out of community, just being refined to a local region. Although it certainly isn't a local region, it, it actually can spread. Um, through the through the process of thoughts or ideas, it's great. What else? Well, kind of like you said, a group of people that share a common interest or common purpose. Okay, so a group of people that share a common purpose or goal, and I I actually think that this is a this is a good way to begin the conversation of community because it allows us to broaden it into other areas, geographies. Um, and let me give you an example of what, what I mean by this. So like, is it possible to live in a community, but actually like a neighborhood, but not have community in that neighborhood? Yes, in fact, it's very common in Florida. Um, we moved into a neighborhood because we actually know almost all of our neighbors, but it was kind of rare. Like most of uh, most of our experience when we bought our first and only house, the one we're in now, was what I like to call the Florida wave, where like a, a person you knew lived on your block would roll the window down and wave, but you knew they did not want to stop and talk to you. And so, so you'd wave back and do that for like eight years and never actually know them. And so that's a great example where um, we can we can have a geographical community that actually doesn't necessarily have a relational community. They're just bound together by the, the name of a subdivision or a city or, or something like that. So if you were to look this up in the dictionary, you guys mentioned several of these already, but a geography, common goals, a social activity like soccer club or something, a political identity, somewhat ironically, at, I promise you we're going to get into Acts 2 in much more detail next week. This is not a, a standalone teaching. We're going to spend about three weeks here. But uh, the, the, the idea of what the church is is, is interesting. It, it's formed around this idea of ecclesia, which most of you have probably heard of if you've been in the church at any time at all. That's the Greek word for gathering or congregation. But it absolutely has no um, religious connection to it, meaning it's like a generic noun. And so there were in the first century world ecclesias of politics, as there are today. We have two, two, a two-party system in America. And by the, by the definition of an ecclesia, uh, ideas and thoughts, you could absolutely say that this is a gathering of people that you know, center around a common set of ideas or beliefs. Um, so ecclesia is interesting, and this is sort of how we're going to drive the conversation. Um, because 
what we have to believe, understand, and sort of execute in our Christian lives is that forms of community exist everywhere, healthy and unhealthy. And the church is a gathering of people. It's a congregation, that's where the word comes from, of people. And so what makes this gathering or congregation of people, this community, what makes this different from a workplace or a neighborhood or a geography or a certain set of ideologies? There, there are qualifiers that make Christian community, the church, the church. And so the second question I ask you is this. Is there a difference, and, and maybe you can give me an example, uh, hopefully, is there a difference between community and meaningful community? Okay. Okay. So for over here in our online folk, um, this was an astounding yes, that there is a difference between community and meaningful community. And meaningful community, uh, quality community, often requires us to make self-sacrifice, to um, put up with people sometimes. Let's also be mindful of the fact that those people have to put up with us at times, right? Uh, there's an idea that there's something far deeper than a, than a surface level tag or identity with, with meaningful community. There's a rooting that requires us to, uh, or asks of us to, 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 really, to really make sacrifice. And, you know, a great clear and obvious example of this would be like, you know, a, a healthy family where mom and dad make sacrifices for children or siblings make sacrifices for each other or really good friends, right? All of these give us examples of of community that's far beyond just physical or geographical association. What else? Any other thoughts on, on there being a substantial difference between community and meaningful community? Well, I'd say a, a community, you have a central, central focus probably or whatever, but you're going different directions. And in a meaningful community, uh, you probably, you focus more on all going in the same direction. Okay. So there's a, there's a common a common theme in meaningful community that that there's a, 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 a binding sense of like vision, mission, and values. Is this a fair way to, to summarize what you're saying? And the beautiful thing about this, and I want to be super clear about this, is that uh, one of the things I love most about our church is we, we do have uh, a, a vision and, and a mission. And we're going to be revisiting that over these next months. It's just the perfect time to do so. But the, the adherence to a particular mission, for example, you know, we want men and women to know Jesus. We want them to know the goodness and the grace of God. That is our, that is our ultimate and foundational mission. We want to make disciples. But the beauty of that is that even though we have a unifying mission, um, there is an incredible diversity in the way you all execute that mission. Meaning, we do have a couple of things we do corporately as a church. But one of the, one of the great things about a healthy community is that there's... John Stott first said this, there's unity in diversity. And what that means is um, each and every one of you have a unique and a particular way that you, that you can bring Jesus to your world in a way that I cannot, and the same is true in, in a vice versa scenario. So I don't ever want us to think that healthy community simply means um, like rote memorization or autocratic control. That is absolutely not a healthy community. A healthy community is that there's, 
there's a clear mission, uh, and I'll just be very simple here. We want Jesus to be known, but the way you actually talk to people about Christ or minister to them is often going to be based on your, your gifts and abilities and the opportunities God has placed before you. And that is, uh, that is one of the marks of any movement of God where things start happening that are out of your control. There's a, in a good way, there's a commitment to this idea, this truth of who Jesus is. And then there's this amazing buy-in, if you will, that people have as they try to um, make, make that name known. So why does knowing the difference between community and meaningful community, why does this matter, especially when it comes to a church family? And we use that word family here. We don't use organization or even, you know, you can, you can ask uh, one of our governance team members, Bill, uh, I, I cannot stand the word board. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but like when I think of, 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 of a board, I tend to think of like 12 people in a room talking about four quarters of how much money they made or lost, where we have always tried to adopt language that is more familial in, uh, in, in nature. And so in, in anything and in everything we do, why is it important that, that we don't just see a church, and in particular this church, as a random gathering of people. Why don't we treat? Why do we not treat it that way? Why does it matter that we that we apply some sort of meaningful root to this community? No matter where you are right now, I'm curious to hear your thoughts or even your disagreements on this, because there's a whole host of people, uh, men and women, that that love Jesus that don't think they need to be a part of a church. That is a real big thing going on today. Um, and then there are some folks who think like. Hey, I can pop in and pop out. That's all I do. There's a, a, there's a host of ways that people respond to this. But I'm curious if you think there is a need when it comes to a church family to distinguish the difference between, like, geographical proximity and relational, uh, relational meaning. So there's, there's a significance of mutual commitment, in when it's, especially when we speak of the church, right? We follow Jesus, correct? He is our ultimate shepherd. But we do this in an ecclesia, in a gathering, meaning there is a, uh, we're put into a team, you might say, a very historical one, which is an important element of the, of the Christian faith. We're going to touch base on this here in a moment, um, the source of community. Yes, excellent. What else? Or anything else? Yes, deep-rooted. I I have an image in my mind when I say that, too. There's there's one image that I really felt like God showed me decades ago of an oak tree, like the real ones, the ones that, like, line the city center, the ones that stand after hurricanes. That's the kind of rootedness we think is important in a church church family. And even if you look at Acts 2, you're not breaking bread together and being with each other and enjoying each other if you just geographically met in a temple court and then went home and didn't. Did you think there's something binding this group of people together? And it's clear that it's obviously the work of um, the Holy Spirit in, in this text. But you're right. There is a need for rootedness. The idea that we, we recognize we are, you know, we're sort of like the substrate system of a, of a larger entity that is growing healthily. So a church is made up of rooted people. A church is not a generic name or a noun or an organization. 
It's actually a living organism made up of people that, uh, that are following Jesus. So very important that rootedness is a part of community. Maybe one more thought. Yes. Okay. So the, the idea of there being a, a strength uh, uh, in us being together. We are stronger together. That's absolutely true. And that's critical when you look at any kind of healthy discipleship. So, uh, for, for example, let's look at the very origins of, of the modern church as we know it. The church was not the church yet, but these are what I like to call the, the rumblings of the church. This is as things were happening in the first century world and the church was getting ready to make its, its way into the world. But there are how many disciples? Twelve, right? It wasn't just like Jesus and himself or John on his own, the beloved disciple who didn't need any other people. The, the very foundation of what is being studied, and we're going to talk about this next week, devoted to the teaching of the apostles, such as the teachings of Jesus, what's happening here is from the very outset of the New Testament, there are people formed together in collective community. Jesus called a group of people to follow him. Okay, And if you can, you can back this up, actually, I've said this a lot, maybe we'll do a, uh, an oil check here. Can, can you think of a community that not only precedes like the disciples, there's obviously Israel, same, same idea, they're formed together in a collective community to follow God. Um, can, you, can you think of a type of community that predates human community in, in God's world? Did community begin with us is what I'm asking you. Okay, so, so I heard two or three people say the Trinity. That's absolutely correct. Um, if, we, if we really believe, and as Christians, this is one of the things we believe, that God is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and there is his Holy Spirit, Christ's Holy Spirit, the three are one and the one are three. They are co-equal. Uh, they're co-equal. Uh, and the beauty of this is that if, if we also believe, which we do as a church, that God has always been, then what that means is there has always been community. There has never been a time before we even had tile on these floors or people on this earth, there has never been a time in the course of existence where there has been no community because the three are one and the one are three. And you can see these interactions, um, Jesus praying to the Father, the Father comforting Jesus, the Holy Spirit continuing Christ's mission after he ascends. What you, you even see now, like we are benefiting from the relational community of the Trinity because Jesus did Jesus say we'll do okay things or greater things in his absence? He said, literally said greater things because he was removing himself from the earth and giving us his Holy Spirit who now roams the whole earth in its entirety, right? So community is, is it's not just foundational. It is fundamentally uh, significant to the life of any Christian group of people, to any church. There has to be some level of meaningful community. And this is a real challenge today. And I've said this before, too, because we, we live in an almost entirely consumer-oriented world. I've already read that the majority of Americans, think about this, there's a you know, pandemic going on in the world. There are already reports, I read a ton of news, um, that are saying that most Americans would be willing to shop early to beat the Black Friday crowds 
um, so that they can they can basically get the stuff that they want. And so what's happening now is, um, you know, Black Friday now begins in October, like uh, because because everybody's trying to continue to jump the gun on how they get their products out. And it's just funny that you know you've got like all this crazy stuff going on in the world, but at the end of the day, we're still figuring out how to get a cheap iPad, right? Like Americans are resolved to beat somebody to death in a Walmart line to get a, a, a an iPad, right? These things I find I find them sociologically fascinating because they really do indicate the values that we have as people. And so one of the one of the critical things with community is that we recognize we are a part of a community. And there is both giving and receiving. There's got to be a balance of that. And I would actually say part of a healthy community is the recognition that there are going to be times when when maybe our ability to give is substantial. And then there might be times when our ability to give is non-existent. And what that means is when we are strong, we can pour into other people and, and know that when we have our moments of weakness, whatever they are, that people pour into us. There is a, I like to use this word in the healthy sense, there is a safety in knowing that the church is a place for people to grow in the grace of Christ. And the very implication of that simply means that we're never going to be fully grown into the grace of Christ in this body. So there's something amazing about that idea that if, if we don't see each other as a collective or a random group of people who pop in and pop out, but we see each other as co-laborers in the kingdom meant to follow Jesus and to support each other, then something radically changes about the nature of that church or that family or that community group. You actually put yourself into the position of what we read in Acts 2. The stuff just is, it starts happening because God is, I deeply believe this is what God wants to work through. Because it's one of the best examples or displays of the type of heavenly unity um, that he has with the Son and the, and the Spirit. And so why uh, – here's another, another question, my last one, and then we'll wrap up. Why is it important to start at this source of community? Why, why is it important for us to not start the conversation about community at the church level, uh, on the human level, on the geographical or, or the political level? Why is it – important that we begin the conversation of community um, at, at, at its inception point. Inception is not even the right word, because since God always was, there is no beginning. Meaning, why is it important to start at the fact that there has always been community? Why do we start with God as Christians and not our, our Merriam-Webster dictionary definitions of community or preferences as a church? Okay. Because ours can and often is, even with the best of intentions, we, we can apply imperfect paradigms to community, okay? What, what are some examples of, um, I'd like to use the word expression, okay? What are some examples of, of unhealthy expressions of community? They're out there too. Okay, clicks. So a click, you know, simply meaning um, there's a, a relational favoritism, a partiality, which is one of the few things God literally says he hates in the Bible. And uh, a click is essentially saying for whatever reason, you know, there's a gazillion of them. I think, I don't think this obviously, but I think my group is better than you. And therefore, you, you can't be a part of this group because you don't meet our, our borrower level. That's interesting. That's a highly contradictory statement considering um, who Jesus is and the fact that he offers the world of which nobody meets the bar uh, is, is grace. Okay, absolutely. Clicks. Unhealthy. That's a community, but a really unhealthy one. What else? 
One more time. Cults. Cults? Yeah, you went for the jugular, didn't you? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, cults. So, I mean, there's no shortage of those either. Cults are um, historically defined by a handful of traits. One, there tends to be a highly dynamic leader. Two, there tends to be um, a set of secret teachings and sort of... Uh, uh, and then an autocratic control. Those are the three three marks of a cult. And if you look at anyone, religious or not, that's what you'll find. There's a dynamic person, a certain set of secret things people need to believe that nobody else knows, and then unchecked authority. So yeah, that is a recipe for disaster, and any cult you can study in the course of human history has those three elements in it, um, and it never ends well, ever. It ends with people being hurt badly. Yes, so community, community. You're, you're exactly right. C community is a counterbalance to unhealthy community, simply meaning in the sense of just using cult or clique. Uh, if you're in a community of people that really care about you, and in the case of Christianity, there's a common mission or vision, what happens is uh, if you and I are in meaningful community or you and you are in meaningful community, somebody cares about you and is going to say, hey, I noticed this, or hey, what's going on here, or hey, you look down or troubled, or hey, uh, you know, in this case, seriously, people that fall away and follow things that are not, that are not true, I mean, they, they really can completely walk away from their faith. And so the community inherently provides, when it is healthy, a bit of a counterbalance in the sense that there are other people uh, that might be strong in a moment of their life. Now, when I say strong, I want to I say that we should always recognize the need to be gracious when these things happen because oftentimes um, it's sort of like good intentions that draw people away. You know, you've heard that old adage about the road. Uh, I don't even remember how it goes, but some road that's paid with good intentions and it ends up in a bad place. That's the general idea here. So community, yes, creates, there's a, there's a, a community in how we follow Jesus and the benefit of that, what John said, the strength in numbers, the strength in thought is that we, we actually can have a greater ability to check, observe, and maybe even recover from unhealthy community. I will tell you one thing about our church is it's amazing to me how many wounded people we have sort of attracted over the years and I don't say that in any derogatory way this is the reason we named the church restoration I've told you this story five years ago so I know you all remember it when we first began um, our church I met with a friend in Orlando that does graphic design that was putting together all of our stuff and uh, the first thing she said to me was the word restoration is a pretty strong name and she said you just better make sure your church lives up to that meaning like we don't want to call ourselves restoration and be a church where we don't let people acknowledge they've got challenges or issues and can't grow. And that, let me tell you, is the most beautiful and hard thing about our church because it means that we are put in positions that are often risky and painful. Um, we can be hurt by people when we open our, our hearts to them, um, but we can also see God do incredible and wonderful things in the, in the restoration of the human heart, both physically, spir or physically spiritually, and, and culturally, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And so it is important that as we, we think about the past, these, these past 10 years, 
community has been an integral part of who we are. It's, it's one of the driving values we have. It's one of the things that we, um, that we look to to gauge church health. And what's interesting is, like, if you were to look at any of the denominational reports or the statistics, the, the metrics of how church health is assessed today, you will not find one that asks about the temperament of your church community. You will find one that asks how many people are in your community. You will find one that asks how many people are giving in your community. You'll find all of these metrics that the church for a half a century has used as the only marks of health. And I'm not saying those things are not health. I am saying, though, you can have all those things and have a community that is unrooted and doesn't care about each other and is divisive and, and problematic. And uh, I'm thankful that in, in the course of these seven months, as difficult as they've been, we've not had any catastrophes or, or problems. No train has run off the tracks. And this is an evidence of, um, of the type of community God has forged. It's also what I believe is the foundation of our, our future. So I'll leave you with, with this today. A year ago, I guess what, what I want to do is I want to leave you with a bit of, of, um, of communal hope about why I think we are turning a new, a new page or a new chapter in the story of our church. We're, we're sort of at the, the beginning of a new era, um, and we're in a position of health, which is wonderful, to be here. There are some really great things uh, happening right now as far as our, our body is concerned. We are stable financially. All, we, I'm not saying we won't have problems in these areas. That's largely up to us. But I'm saying right now, we as a church, no matter where you are, um, or maybe you're not even a part of this church yet, but that's, that's coming. Meaning all the people out there that we'll get to meet and know. Um, a year ago, I, I actually, uh, true, true to my proclamation to you all, I think it's critically important that we have somebody older than us speaking into our lives, a peer group we can sort of, uh, vent to that get what's going on in our lives and that we find people that are um, younger or, or a little less developed in the faith, meaning we're pouring into people. We have people that are, that are able to endure the same trial, particularly like when it's rearing kids uh, or raising teenagers. And then it's absolutely important that we never forget that the, one of the most important attributes of a Christian is a teachable heart, simply meaning we never get to the place where we don't need input from somebody else. And so uh, pretty much once a week for the past year and a half, I, um, I talked, I have lots of peers, no doubt, but I have a handful of folks that I would qualify as in the mentoring role. And one of them, uh, his name is Dave. He listens to my sermons every week, so it's going to be a plug for him. Uh, he's in Tennessee. He's a retired missionary and basketball coach and uh, an, an incredible man of God. And we talk about a lot of things. Like he asks me questions about like how my family is doing and how the church is doing. We're not just talking about like general comments, uh, you know, ideas of, about um, church or it's not a business phone call. It's not a board meeting. It's actually a really communally oriented meeting. And so a year ago, a little over a year ago, he had asked me, like, what, um, what were the things that I, I would love to see most in the upcoming season of restoration? In other words, as we were looking at 10 years, this is what I call the blueprint, um, which uh, I've told some of you, restoration has a very long blueprint. I just can only roll it out so much because if I, if I roll the whole thing out, you probably would all think I'm crazy. But I believe we're going to keep rolling this blueprint out. And so last year I said, I actually think it's, it's, it's critical that as we move forward, that we, we, have, we have two things. The first is that we have to be in a place where we spend less time dragging stuff around and more time with each other. That was a year ago. As much as we loved the theater, the labor there was tremendous. Uh, it was too, too much. That was the first thing I said. 
And then the second thing I said is, I would love, and I can, I can remember closing my eyes and telling him this on the phone. I said, I like see in my head a day when like we're all sitting around tables or something, and we can actually have like this communal dialogue going on back and forth as we're teaching Sundays. Like that we add some, we get beyond just music and me on a Sunday, and we create some new voices to, to really press into the strengths of our body. And uh, the first Sunday we were here, it was kind of weird. You know, there were some things we had to figure out, but um, it, none of this hit me until I sat in this stool. Like, the setup, there's some stuff we got to do, but it's substantially less. And I was sitting here talking, and this happens pretty regularly. Um, while I'm talking, there's like this other conversation happening on the right side of my head. I, I don't know what that means. I'm just telling you it happens. But I can often be talking while I'm, like, hearing stuff. And I remember talking about this, and we were sharing the story of restoration. And I sat here thinking, like, while I was speaking, oh, my gosh, we're sitting in a room with less setup, and I'm actually having a Q&A with our body. It, was, it took, like, literally being put in this moment to see that, uh, that the things we had talked about, the things we had prayed for, um, ironically came out of one of the most difficult situations the world has endured, at least in, in my lifetime. And so the crazy part about all this is that it's not, it's not crazy. It's an evidence of God honoring, even during a difficult time, the things that we think he, he really values. Like, he really values community and us to be the types of people that, that care for each other. And he has completely provided a space for those who are comfortable coming here and tools for those who are not yet comfortable coming here. He's given us everything we need to to continue the mission and ministry of, of God's church. And so uh, as, as we wrap up this morning, I just I want us to be thankful for the fact that we, we have 10 years of ministry under our belt. But I also don't ever want to, to be unmindful of the fact that there is an absolute future that God has for us. And I'm pretty convinced that um, this is not the way, if you would have asked me how we would have got here, this is not the way I would have said we would have got here. I'm not sure I understand. Siri just said, I'm not sure I understand. And I don't fully either, because I can tell you, every circumstance in this world, this was not, we might say that we got to page three on the blueprint, but my, my schematics did not follow this trajectory. But nonetheless, we got here. And it, it's a stern reminder of the fact that um, we often need to have a bigger imagination when it comes to the way God works, meaning we might truly know where we're going, but we've got to be mindful of the fact that oftentimes our preferences, our opinions, our expectations, um, that might not necessarily be the best way God chooses to work. In fact, it's pretty fair to say that while we can be spot on about those things at times, we need a wider margin to let God work the way that he works. And so I'm not at all saying that what's gone on in our world over the past seven months is good. I think it's been very tragic. But what I am saying is that um, God has a wonderful history of taking very difficult things and bringing good out of them. And this is the first Sunday as we look to the horizon of another decade. And I'm just thankful for each and every one of you and, uh, and the, the, the support and the care and the commitment you have had to this body. And so what we'll do now is I'm just going gonna to close this in prayer. Um, Abe will just strum a little something for us to sort of reflect on, and then you can be on your way. And so part of our community is helping you all to know that you're not alone in this journey. And so on your seats or in your benches, there are connection cards. If you need to be prayed for, have questions about our church, I mean anything. If there's something we can do to serve you, uh, please take a moment to, to fill out that card, drop it in those towers on your way out, or you, know, you can ring us in the office and email us. Remember, when you leave this place, you leave with the support of the church family. For those of you that are partners, 
whether you're in this room or online, this is also a time for you to consider um, giving. Super thankful for everything um, that you all have done. If, if you're a partner, you know we've made a commitment to each other to support the mission and the ministry of restoration with our finances. If you're visiting, whether it's in this room or online, we simply ask that you do as the Lord leads, that you can place those gifts in these towers too as we exit after this time of uh, of, of reflection. So if you would give your attention to Abe for a few minutes and just really think about what we've talked about today and how you will follow through, how you will follow Jesus in community this week. and challenged by this time of worship we've had. And as you go this week, remember, uh, you have been given the invitation to be a part of the family of God. That, that has existed before there was such a thing as time. 
and a part of this family. The invitation is equally extended to you, and I encourage you to extend it to those whom you know that need to be cared for or loved. So as you go this week, remember you are loved by God and loved by the people of this church. Show that love to somebody else, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.